Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. College basketball has crowned its 2021 national champion as of Monday night. But the championship was so in the bag since January, I didn't even watch the game. I didn't need to. The team that played and won the greatest basketball game in tournament history on Saturday followed making history. Capping off a 32-0 season to cruise to their first national championship, just like we all predicted. Congratulations to the Gonzaga Bulldogs for winning, for remaining unbeaten, for dominating and placing themselves in the upper echelon of perhaps one of the best basketball teams we've ever seen. Wait a minute. That's not what happened? What was going to happen, Wait, young man? Wait a minute. If you listen to me wax poetic Wait now. on various outlets. Come on. After Saturday, hosts. they won the best game in tournament history, Al. That's what I was hearing on sports media all was, over. The best game in history. Game, Saturday night was a game for the ages. It was a fabulous slash spectacular sporting event. One of the sporting events I've ever seen as well as one of the best college basketball slash NCAA tournament games, certainly final four games that I've ever seen in my 1967 is how many years of watching it. 54. That's the 55. old report of the show. Absolutely. It, it, it is the old report. 55 years of watching it. I've seen some tremendous ones. Uh, that was an all time classic. Well, they win and, that game. There's no question they're going to follow with the national championship. It was just the stepping stone would, to history. I thought that they would play well. I didn't think that they would blow Baylor out. I thought that they would cover. I thought it would be similar to 1976, where Indiana going for the undefeated 32-0 season was trailing Michigan, a team they were playing for the third time, their Big Ten rival. They were trailing Michigan. At halftime, and they came out and methodically blew them out of the building in the second half. Now, I didn't think they would blow Baylor out of the building in any way, shape, or form because, as we've discussed, and as I said early on, I know Baylor was very good. I know they were a terrific team for two consecutive years. People forget where they were last year, uh, which was on the verge of being a number one seed before we got shut down because of the virus. And This year, they were fabulous again. They had to deal with the virus and a delay in their season. Lost a couple of games, one to Kansas after the break, one to Okie State in the Big 12 tournament. But they had a tremendous tournament. They were ready. They pummeled Houston on the Saturday night opener. 
And I thought it would be a competitive game. I thought it would be a terrific game. And it was nothing remotely resembling any of the above. The bottom line to me was plain and simple. We talked about Baylor early on when I told you that they were grown men. And it very was early. very evident early on Monday night that all the adults in the room were wearing Baylor jerseys. They looked like, I hate to use the term, but they looked like men playing with boys. They were bigger. They were stronger. They were quicker. They were more athletic. Some of it may have to do with the Saturday night extravaganza, uh, both mentally and physically, that Gonzaga had to go through. However, no excuses. I thought they were an all-time team. They were not because they did not seal the deal. I still love the way they play, and I will still say they're one of the most beautiful offensive teams I've ever seen. Love the movement. Love the way the ball barely touches the ground. But Baylor was too tough, too strong, too quick, too physical. They moved them out from their comfort zone. They moved them out on offense. They forced them to put the ball on the floor. They cut down passing lanes. They got in their shorts defensively and their athleticism in their man-to-man defense and their quickness and their aggressiveness took Gonzaga out of their game literally from the opening tap. They got three offensive rebounds. Gonzaga could not get a rebound. And then even after the struggle, down 19, Gonzaga makes a little run. They go off probably feeling a little better about themselves when they cut it to 10 at the end of the first half. You have a little hope. I think maybe they're starting to get things going. And Butler comes right out, knocks down two threes. You start the second half the way, same way you started the first half. And that was all sheet rope. The Baylor Bears were the better team. Fired away on Monday night. They were the best team in this tournament. They deserve to be national champs. And for Gonzaga, they didn't just come up short. They got dismantled on Monday night in their quest for perfection. So, folks, as you can tell by now, the Open was said in jest. It's not very often that Al or myself are right on our show. For those of you that have listened for the past several years, you know that, especially when we pick games. But when we are right, we have to celebrate. When we are right, we get on top of the mountain. We open up a beer on National Beer Day. And we just reflect on being on top of the biggest storyline in college basketball this season, which started to start the year off that Gonzaga was the best team in college basketball. Their record showed that they were. But people took that and ran with it as quick as they could, that this team was becoming one of the best teams in college basketball history, Al. One of the best. I bought in. I bought in because I've seen so many of these teams. And were they most the most athletic? No. Were they the most physical? No. But they played the game as beautifully as I've seen any team play it literally 
quite frankly, since the UCLA teams with Bill Walton. That's a long time. That's 1972-73-74, the 88-game winning streak. Walton, the brilliant passer from the pivot, the great, at that point in time, Kill Keith, later Jamal Wilkes, one of the most underrated college players of all time, Larry Farmer, Larry Hollyfield, Tommy Curtis, Greg Lee, 88 games in a row, two national titles in a row, three Final Fours in a row, lose to the great David Thompson in North Carolina State in the semis in a classic double overtime game, going for their third in a row, and what would have been five, what would have been their eighth title in a row. Beautiful teams. Picture-perfect textbook basketball. That's the way this team played, with their movement, with their passing, with their footwork, with their shooting. However, their strength and athleticism did not come into play until they ran up against the Baylor Bears. Now, would it have come into play against other teams that they didn't play because of their conference? Maybe, but they played a strong out-of-conference schedule. They were supposed to play Baylor. We would have had a much better handle probably on this game had they played Baylor during the regular season. Maybe it would have helped them. But the bottom line is they got their asses kicked by Baylor on Monday night. So they are not what I thought they were. They're not one of the greatest teams of all time because you must seal the deal to be one of the greatest teams of all time. UNLV coming off a national title and undefeated going into the semis against Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Duke, upset after pounding them the prior year. And it, Bobby Hurley wound up with nightmares of sharks, of sharks. <laughs> because it's Ark the Shark, the legendary Vegas coach. You know, Larry Grandmama Anderson, Anderson Hunt, Stacey Augman. The Plastic Man, a dominant team, gagged against Duke in the semis. They gagged. They did. Greg Anthony, their point guard, fouled out on a questionable charging call, and they wilted after he fouled out of the game. Their floor general was gone. They fell apart. Could have been, should have been, would have been one of the greatest teams of all time. But they didn't finish. Were they better than this Gonzaga team? Probably. But had Gonzaga won, you would have to put them ahead of Vegas because they won. And they would have beaten a wonderful Baylor team. But they didn't. Thus, they fall in with maybe, maybe, and I haven't really heard anybody say this, and I'm not touting, you know, touting myself or tooting my own horn, but they weren't similar to Indiana State, because Indiana State was much more of a one-man show. But the way that Michigan State beat Indiana State was similar to the way Baylor beat Gonzaga. Stronger, more athletic, quicker to the ball, their defense taking Gonzaga out of their offensive game the same way Michigan State's matchup zone took Indiana State and Larry Bird out of their game. That's the analogy I would make in that regard. Gonzaga, clearly a better team than Indiana State. Many more weapons. Much more versatile offensively. 
uh, versus the one-man gang of the Sycamores. But in terms of the styles of what was imposed upon Gonzaga by Baylor, I do think there were some similarities. And to Coach Drew, he's got the monkey off his back in terms of you know, success in this tournament. He's had some teams come up short. Some have called him on the carpet at times. He built a program from really the ground up, state of disarray, courtesy of Dave Bliss, just a train wreck in Waco. He went there with a goal not just to win games, but to win conference titles and national titles. And his team is at the mountaintop. Son of a coach, brother of a coach, an absolutely brilliant job by you know, a basketball lifer and a team that really played tremendous basketball in this tournament from beginning to end. The unfortunate thing for Baylor, at least on the national scale, was that they missed pretty much all of February playing basketball games. And in that time, Gonzaga continued to remain unbeaten. They continued to beat every team they beat by more than 10 points at least. And they kept the ball rolling for how good of a basketball team they were. And remember, they, they, every game they played, they won by double digits, except a good West Virginia team. Which was really early in the season. They, won well, they by only five. beat by five. Uh, and it was very tough. It's, you know, obviously, gave the juggernaut that is Syracuse a snootful before Buddy Bam and company could knock them off to go to the Sweet 16. But we digress. And, and you know Bob Huggins' teams are always tough yep. physically. It was a big win. And the thing that really hurt Baylor is, like you said, out of the limelight, when we were on that run, where all anybody talked about was Gonzaga, Baylor, Baylor, Gonzaga, Gonzaga, they have separated themselves from everybody else. And everybody was putting the Big Ten teams and echelon below them. Well, then Baylor has the fallout of the virus. And by the time they come back, when they lose to Kansas, soundly, and then Oklahoma State in the tournament, people now have dropped Baylor to the level of Michigan and or Illinois, including yours truly. We thought Illinois was the second best team in the tournament, dead wrong, because they were playing great. And I thought, you know, Baylor was, they were playing spotty. But they led the country in three-point shooting. It showed in this tournament. Their defense was tremendous. Their rebounding was off the charts. And they had depth, they had versatility, and they played like they were on a mission. And they were, indeed, the grown-ups in the room. They were the men. They played like it, they walked like it, they talked like it. So just to catch everybody up, in case you've forgotten, Baylor was supposed to play Gonzaga, as we mentioned. That would have came three days after Gonzaga played and beat West Virginia, and unfortunately that game got canceled. Gonzaga went on to beat Iowa on December 19th, 99-88. That was another feather in their cap. They also beat Virginia 98-75, both handedly. So the momentum starts building with them that they're knocking off their tough non-conference games. Baylor beat Illinois in December. The game against Texas was canceled. 
They beat Texas Tech and, and Kansas in January. Then they beat Texas, but then it was 21 days without a game in February, Al. Then there's the bad game against Kansas, as you mentioned. They beat West Virginia in overtime. Then they lost in the Big 12 semis. To what Oklahoma was the State. score of the Illinois game? The score of the Illinois game, a 2-3 matchup at the time, Baylor 82, Illinois 69. The problem for Gonzaga was not only did they miss playing the Baylor game, because I think Monday night goes, I don't want to say quite differently, but it's a different game when you know what to expect or what you saw of Baylor on two days helps. You're playing them, you get one day off, and then the game is coming. It's a quick turnaround. If you had that game in your back pocket – it helps. Now, I don't know how much it changes things, but I'd say it's a much closer game. At least they would know it, what to expect. It, at, least, it at least allows you to have some expectations of what you're going to be up against. Because they haven't Versus seen watching them on like film. You know, it's just not the same. You, know, you, you can't envision real life. You can't in practice terms of their physicality. You their can't athleticism, practice speed. their physicality, exactly. their strength. So at least you would have had some idea. You may have gotten blown out again, but at least you would have a, quite a bit more preparedness for the enemy. And it, it, I'm not going to say it works at Baylor's advantage, but it's that I would think, and I agree with you, Gonzaga's disadvantage. All that being said, if Baylor's going to shoot like that, they're going to be difficult for anybody to beat. Gonzaga, meanwhile, at the same time, to keep the timeline going, played zero ranked opponents in all of January, in all of February. They're in their conference. They're in their conference schedule, and they didn't play yeah, a ranked opponent. Again that's their conference to the second round game against Oklahoma on March twenty second. And the tournament bracket itself, as we talked about when it came out, I don't want to say they cruised to the Final Four, but they all but did. And then they ended up playing a team that was one of the first four in that made a historic run in their own right to get to the Final Four as the number 11 seed. And on paper, you thought, they're going to demolish this team because they're supposed to. I thought they would win that game by 20 points. I could not have been more wrong. I could not get over. And folks, we're talking about the Saturday night game here on uh, New Report, Old Report, the Saturday Night Classic. And the reason I thought it would be a route is I did not think, no matter what their coach did in an attempt to control the tempo, that they would not be able to do it and they could not bit, and they could not match Gonzaga's offense. Well, the, the strange thing, and, and then at halftime, the game's in the 40s. I'm like, well, this can't possibly continue to happen because this is an 85-90 clip, and Gonzaga can certainly go with this clip, but there's no way UCLA can. And they did. Somehow. They, did. they played their two best halves in the same game against the best Gonzaga team in the Gonzaga shoot layups all night. But their brilliant offense, their patterned offense, their tremendous cutting uh, from all points on the floor, from the wings, in the paint, from the elbow, back doors, fast breaks, post ups, beautiful to watch. And UCLA is just knocking down jump shots like they're in their driveway. Just shot after shot after shot. 
every time it looked like Gonzaga. Gonzaga, there was a spot finally in the second half where Gonzaga went up seven with about three, three, four minutes to go. And they had the rock in transition. Chance to go up nine. Little floater goes in and out. Down they come. Boom, three-pointer from the corner. And the next, it's a four-point lead. And the next thing you know, you still has got the lead. And that's when I was most impressed with Gonzaga, is that's where you always expect them year after year after year. This is where they'll fold. This is where they'll buckle. Okay, Yeah, they're undefeated, but they haven't faced this kind of test. They're on the verge of being upset. They're going to gag. They're not going to be able to deal with it. And then the teams went back and forth. To their credit, everyone making shots. Shot after shot after shot after shot. And then Gonzaga's got a five-point lead after they hit a big three from the top. And I'm in the process of texting my best friend from home because I'm rooting out for Gonzaga because I want to see him do this. And I don't want to see an 11 seed go to the finals. I just don't, unless it's Syracuse, of course. And I can't even get the text to my best friend up in Rochester fast enough, which was going to be started with just make your free throws in the second portion was going to be and no threes. And I didn't get the no threes out. Boom, three from the corner. And it's a two-point game. And then it's a tie game. And lo and behold, look who's got the rock with a chance to win it. The best player on the floor for UCLA. And for some reason, after he took jump shots all night long, all night long, with a stroke that was so sweet, I mean, it, it, it could have landed on a bed of tissues and not dented them. That's how soft it was. He decides to go to the rack and the proper call. He charges. Even if it was a no call, he missed the shot. But you cannot possibly call that a foul on the Gonzaga big man because he's out. He was in time. He was there. How fitting was it that that's how that game ended in regulation from the horrendous moments in the tournament of offensive foul calls that were clearly not and were blocks. How fitting do we end up with a second and a half to go? Drew Timmy, we'll get to Drew Timmy, is standing there for an hour waiting for this guy to drive into him, levels him straight, he goes down, and if you're pulling for UCLA, which all of you should, as I've been telling you for weeks on this program, because Gonzaga is the villain of this year's tournament, why would you root for them? You're praying that for whatever reason, the theme and the always call of a charge doesn't happen. They go block and UCLA gets on the line with a chance to go to the national championship. It was a charge. You, you can't really argue it. It was just unfortunate for it to happen then. Of course, how fitting it was that we get a charge call. He obviously missed the basket. Even if it was a no call, nobody would have scored in time. And right. we go to overtime. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And then we have an absolutely tremendous overtime. A, a tremendous overtime. And down two, he comes down, and again he goes to the basket. Again, he goes to the basket. He misses the little floater, but they're out of position defensively, off the miss. And you know, JJ puts it back up and in. And Mark Feud doesn't call a timeout. They inbound the ball quickly. And 
the freshman heads up court. You can feel and it. And he launches from about 40 it. feet. You can feel it coming. And, you know, it, it looked like it looked good out of his hand. Nice rotation, nice arc. And lo and behold, at the buzzer, he's up on the table, like you said, like Kobe and D Wade. And uh, they win literally an all time classic game. It was such a good game. It was such. And look, there are, there are things about it that I loved. It wasn't perfect. Both teams were only about 60% from the foul line. But they were both that way. So nobody had any edge at the foul line. And the thing that, for me, that helped make it such a great game was the shot making and the fact that it was not one team dominating from three. One team staying in it because they're just knocking down three after three after three after three. I don't have them in front of me, but I thought that I thought it was a total of 15 threes. I think eight for one team, probably UCLA and seven for the other, I think. But there were not that many three points. I mean, you know, teams get 15 threes themselves. I think the combined number of threes was 15, which is perfect. That's just enough for it to be a factor, but not a dominant factor. Right. Not an overriding factor. Not as much luck that you could argue. The, after the, the game. mid-range game was there. The screen rolls were there. The post-ups and drop steps were there. The isolations were there. The UCLA cuts, the back screens, the isolations and face-up jumpers, and an occasional three. They were all there. They were all there. Drew Timmy in overtime, scoring the first six points, all in the paint. I mean, you had it from all angles. You had it from all sides. And you had everybody contributing on both teams. So in terms of an athletic event, a competitive game, it's tough to find a better, big-time, big-spot basketball game than we saw on Saturday night between UCLA and Gonzaga. I've been looking forward to talk to you about this because – 50 plus years of watching the NCAA tournament. You've obviously seen all the thrilling games from the new era from 85, obviously that sometimes gets used as the barometer for where these games stand now to before that. When I was watching the game, for whatever reason, it didn't necessarily hit me that this is one of the greatest games we've ever seen. And I think that came from the narrative of the game. I think that came from me thinking this is a 14-point favorite playing a first-four team. Why aren't they winning? Now, if UCLA won, this would have easily, for me, been a top-three game. Not even a question. And then you could start arguing where it is compared to the three or four that are up there in that list. Well, look at the way you just reasoned it. You've got Georgetown and Villanova at the top of that heap or near it. Why? Because Villanova won. Right. UCLA, to me, had to win this Remember game. Remember how many losses Villanova there. had coming into that tournament. Remember how low a seed Villanova was going into that tournament. They barely got in. Georgetown was a big favorite. But I remember many moons ago, the great old man, then not so old, in 1985, hearing him talk in interviews and in print, Syracuse Jim, Coach Jim Bayon, 
And that was the heart and soul. That was the absolute pinnacle of the Big East. You had three teams from the Big East in the Final Four. Georgetown, Syracuse, excuse me, Georgetown, Villanova, St. John's. Georgetown and St. John's battle for the top spot in the country all year long. And I remember Jim Beheim being interviewed and saying after the Final Four was settled, because Georgetown had already dismantled St. John's twice, saying that even though St. John's was better than Villanova, that they could not beat Georgetown. But Villanova could because of the matchups in terms of the ability to control tempo and the experience, et cetera. And it took a miraculous effort on the part of Villanova, who played literally the perfect basketball game and shot about 80% to pull it off in arguably the biggest upset uh, of my lifetime in NCAA history, even more so, I think, than North Carolina State and Houston, although that's right there. But Georgetown was looked upon as unbeatable. They were the Giants. They were, uh, I mean, this was, I I mean, it was you-know-who with the Rock. Right. Plain and simple. Um. They were Goliath. They were so physical and so athletic and so dominating from Patrick Ewing to the rest of the lineup uh, in terms of the way they defended you and, and the aggressiveness was which they were in your face all the time. Bill Martin and Sleepy Floyd and Gene Smith and Michael Jackson and obviously all of the impetus from their coach. That's the way he wanted you to play. He wanted you, they played with an aggression. They didn't care about fouls. They made officials call fouls. Gene Smith is one of the greatest college defenders of all time. Guarded you with the attitude. I'm going to play this way until the officials stop me from playing this way. He was in your shorts all the time. He was bumping you. He was chest to chest, shoulder to shoulder, 40 feet from the basket. And Villanova, because of their experience, was able to deal with it. Because Gary McLean, their little point guard, had played against Georgetown his entire career, throughout his career at the Big East, two and three times a year. And he was ready for it. And he never buckled. He never folded. He never, remember, there's no shot clock. No three-point rule. And he was able to control the entire game. The entire game he was able to control because he was able to deal with their ball pressure for 40 minutes. And it's obviously something that Gonzaga could not deal with Baylor's ball pressure at all five points on the floor. And that made a huge difference. UCLA and... Gonzaga was much more like the Kentucky and Duke game where it was free-flowing. 
Because remember, that game was in the low hundreds in yeah. overtime. I think 104, 104 to 103. 103 yep. So this game was similar in terms of, you know, it was not defensive wizardry. It was artistic offense well, I was and shot making. Baylor should have been salivating watching that game because some of the flaws on both teams on their defense, they were able to watch. Gonzaga couldn't stop anybody. And UCLA couldn't stop a soul in the paint. It was the mid-range shooting for UCLA was working and the Gonzaga in the paint shooting all night long. So Baylor had to be watching both teams going, okay, well, if they win, we'll do this. If they win, we'll do that. But then part of me was thinking, but Gonzaga's still got to start missing. The reason, one of the reasons why this game maybe didn't do it for me like it did others was I never really thought that Gonzaga wasn't going to win because they really didn't have a lull all game. There wasn't a, you see the little ticker go across the screen, haven't scored in five or six minutes. It was just constant, constant, constant and offense. That, that's, and somehow UCLA kept up with them. But I never thought the they were things, going to, to have a lull. That, that, that's one of the things that is so impressive about Gonzaga is they don't have lulls. Their offense is so well run and so versatile. Part of it, obviously, is the player's ability to be on different spots on the floor, score from various spots on the floor, move without the basketball, and be a great passing and cutting team led by their your freshman point guard, but also, you know, by their forwards, by their center, everyone. You know, they run some beautiful stuff. They run some beautiful stuff. You know, when you guys, when you see guys, you know, cut through the lane and like lightning get hit with a pass on the dead run catch, no dribble, and dunk. You don't see that a lot. You don't see that a lot. You don't, you don't see guys catch passes on the dead run, coming from the side on motion into the lane, and it's step and a half and dunk. It's like a video a game. Off it's, the dribble, it's as flawless a, a video game. It, it's beautifully run stuff, and they're very well coached, but they just did not have the answers uh, on Monday night that they had on Saturday night. Anytime they needed a bucket Saturday night to stave off an upset, to keep UCLA from getting big momentum, they were able to get it. There wasn't even a doubt for them to get it. That was the thing. They answered every basket, especially the last one. When I was asked Monday on ACC radio, of course, the entire sports media world was talking that game, as they should, and we talked about where do you rank this game all time. I said, let's see. Hold on. Because if Gonzaga doesn't win the national championship on Monday, that game is an afterthought. That game is a blip. We talk about it in sports all the time. You don't remember the team that lost in the semis. And sometimes you often don't even remember the team that lost to the champion. You have to win well, Monday for that game to matter and to have the magnitude that I, it did. I will differ. Okay, I will differ because we remember that Kentucky lost that game to your Duke squad. We, we remember how they lost it. We remember how you won it. We remember the fact that Rick Pitino chose not to guard Grant Hill on the inbound and allow the pass. We remember that the Kentucky defenders 
basically just stood there and let Christian Leitner go to the ball and catch it, take a dribble, and were not aggressive in defending him. Maybe afraid of fouling, whatever the case may be. Uh, so I remember, yes, Duke won the title, but that was just to go to the Final Four. Exactly. But they had to I, win the I, championship. I, but I remember that Kentucky team. If they lost in the will. Final Four. I remember the team that lost that game. You know, I remember the double overtime loss by UCLA in 1974 going for the eighth straight title when they lost to David Thompson. When they had a lead. They had an eight-point lead and no shot clock. And Coach Wooden's approach, as Bill Walton always said, was to play. John Wooden never stalled. He never went to four corners, all of Dean Smith. His, his approach was continue playing. And Bill Walton, that game haunts him to this day more than any other game. You ask Bill Walton, one loss, 1974, semifinals, double overtime, North Carolina State. We had an eight-point lead, and we didn't put the ball in the freezer. No. This Saturday night game was a thing of beauty. It wasn't just the results. It was the competitors throughout and the style with which it was played. That is what made it one of the handful of greatest college basketball games I've ever seen. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. For Monday's narrative to be this, some were arguing, was the best game in college basketball history, was shocking to me because, again, if Gonzaga didn't win Monday night's game and win the championship, the game means nothing. You could argue the moment itself where does a shot when the game is tied that wins you the game matter as much as the shot when you're down wins you the game, such as Christian Leitner's Duke down a point. He misses. They lose. Villanova's, the game's tied. An amazing shot by Chris Jenkins wins them the national championship. To me, that's a, that shot is it, – that's it, just a – it's a walk-up three. Wins the game, though. Wins them the title. You know, the, the, the amazing shot in that game was the shot to tie it. Marcus Page, as I said. Marcus you Page You have to win pump. the game, Al. They lost. So you forget that Marcus he made Page that Marcus Page's double pump three. Incredible. Somehow, some way, to tie it was the amazing shot. But they lost. Chris Jenkins' shot was a walk-up wide-open three. You got to win. You got to win for people to remember. Marcus Page goes in the, it was it, Andy Sheffis with the Mets, making one of the best catches you'll see in your lifetime. They don't win the game. You have to win the game for these shots to matter. And that was what put me on pause. Along well, they with did the, win game the game itself. Being, they did win the game. They didn't win the championship. If you see everybody wins talks, that every, game, to, that's a to top game day, of all time. To this day, one of the most memorable games and shots of all time that they've always shown in the tournament is Bryce Drew's shot. Not on Bryce on the, on, on the Pacer play against Ole Miss. I think they lost in the next round. Yeah. <laughs> people, some people choose to just stop it after that shot goes in and never think about it again. Unfortunately, they lost the next game. Well, it was Valpo. I was also looking at the fact that Gonzaga was supposed to win this game. 
these Look, other games where it's Villanova, enough, enough, North Carolina. Enough, enough. If this were not Gonzaga, for one second, try and step back. Try and think like an analyst instead of Mr. Subjectivity and remove your hatred for the Zags because a player you can't stomach only because, and you wouldn't hate this player if he finished second in the player of the year. You hate this player and this team because that particular player got player of the year instead of your beloved Duke, Mr. Reddick. Yeah, to why I hated this year's team, but yes, that's if a, he had that's finished a second, if he had finished second to Reddick, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't reason. hate Gonzaga, but because he beat Reddick out for player of the year because Adam Morrison was left on the court crying. You wouldn't care about Adam Morrison crying. You would love the emotion of the upset. You would love how much he cared. But because he beat out J.J. Redick for player of the year, he's a baby. He's a loser. He's a bum. You hate the Zags. Did you hear his final call? He was very excited. He's the color analyst for the Zags. So he just... and. You take a step back and realize the moment of them beating UCLA, getting the revenge. Shame on any announcer for not saying heartbreak city redemption or something along the lines of that 15 years in the making. He just screamed, yes, yes, over and over again. While you were screaming, no. It was a cool moment. While you were screaming, no. They should have won the game. So you're saying Gonzaga... We'll take them out of the picture. It's a number one team versus either a number one or number two team. No names on the jersey. Where does that game rank? Top five. But because they don't win the national championship, I can't put it ahead of some of the other games. I don't want to put it. What other games are you referring to? What other games are you referring to? Kentucky and Duke? Well, Leitner's number one for me. Let's let's just I don't want to say Kentucky and Duke? Duke fan, but yeah, okay. Kentucky Duke. Number you want to put one. Kentucky and Duke over it? Okay. Are we I'll, talking I'll let you games? Do that, but or where are we is, talking where's shots? the rest of the list? Well, give where's me the, the rest of the list. Give me the Villanova game next. Number two, they win the national championship on that play against a North Carolina team that was just as good as they were. It was a toss-up game. I don't really feel comfortable arguing Villanova and Georgia because Villanova, I haven't Villanova, watched North Carolina them. or Villanova and Georgetown. Villanova, North Carolina. Give me oh, that, that shot. That was an okay one. game. Give me that shot over this one. That was an okay game. That, last, that wasn't a classic. Threes. Woo. Just because a guy hits a winning shot doesn't make it a great game. This was a great game from beginning to end. This that. was a memorable game before the shot. No names on the jerseys. One of the teams is undefeated, going for a perfect season. The other team. Record aside, we'll just say they could compete with said number I one team. No, 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 no. Forget all that. If it's a if it's a national semi and two teams play to that level, it's an all time game. Doesn't matter who's playing. The fact that one of the teams is undefeated adds more to it because they had this undefeated streak and trying for perfection on the line, so that adds to the intrigue and adds to the pressure that they were under. But you're in the national semis, you're in the spotlight on Saturday night, and you play a game from beginning to end that is incredibly competitive and compelling through regulation and overtime. It ends with a 40-foot shot. That is an all-time classic game, no matter who's playing. 
How could that be more wrong? The end result is why I can't be as excited as you are about it because they didn't win. You have no soul. That's the problem. You young people, you have no soul. <laughs> you know that I've been saying how cocky they've been all these past couple months. From Drew Timmy's Fu Manchu mustache celebration, which he did to the crowd, Al, down 15 points in the first half. While they're getting shit on, he's doing his mustache celebration after a dunk. Read the room, dude. They held you to your lowest point total since January 2nd. You scored a dozen points, but I hope you had a fun time gesticulating to the crowd while you're getting your ass beat. Save it for when the game is close, man. Run down the court. They got the token white three-point shooter who couldn't buy a basket this game, whose NBA draft stock plummeted. Worse than we've seen in the he stock didn't, he market. Didn't, he, didn't have, he didn't play that well against UCLA. Couldn't buy a shot against either of those teams because they actually have good defenses. Not great. Then we hear today from Mark Vidal. He talked to people that get questions and answers from players. Holly Rowe was one of the interviewers and Gabe Iker. He told them a story that they found out before the game, Baylor, that Gonzaga had ordered six cases of champagne and had them in the locker room before the game. They found this out. Well, what so are you going to order them after the game? Well, the players were... Talking about it. They found out from the players, the opposing players. This is the Heat rolling out the fucking NBA Finals trophy during the game. What are you doing? You can't be doing stuff like that. To And Gonzaga was so fucking cocky in all these games, cruising through the tournament, gesticulating to the fans. Look at us. Mark Few coming out to his press conferences. This is the year they had everybody behind them, and this they is truly, got this is truly ironic. The woodshed, Al. This is ironic because it's coming from a fanatic of a team who's arguably greatest college player of all time was arguably the most hated, obnoxious college player. Of all time. Absolutely. Because of the way he carried himself yeah. on the court. You're not wrong, but you with know what his, he did? He won. With his swagger. He won. his attitude. He won. Every year he won. Uh, Gonzaga hasn't won shit. He didn't win four consecutive national titles. Where did he, he get won to? two. Four right. final fours. He won every year. And he year. carried himself at times like a holier than thou. I'm better than everybody. He was a terrible ass. Ass. So, to me, uh, again, one of the two or three greatest games I've ever seen, uh, considering obviously circumstances play a role, of course, in regular season games, not nearly as much on the line. Rankings aside from mine, where it's Duke, Villanova, and maybe I could give you this three. Do you put this two? I, w- I would put this right in, yeah, again, I'm talking about the caliber of play and Not the competitive the, level the of the game, play, like end results. You're talking and about the, and, and, and the consistency of the competition, which to me was the most one of the most important elements of it, and the excellence of both teams throughout in terms of the shot making and the execution. 
And just when I thought one team may have been ready to buckle, the other team came back. So, you know, if you want to toss a coin with Kentucky and Duke, I would probably, you know, since this was the final four game, I would probably put this at one. I would put uh, Kentucky and Duke two. And I would probably put Georgetown and Villanova three. UCLA, North Carolina State, four. And probably, um, I haven't put North Carolina State and Houston in because I think it was that great a game. The low scoring, ugly. Yeah, it's just four fouls on Clyde Drexler in the first the half. wasn't good. The last right. play was awful. And, and I, I probably would put, you know, again, I, I am the old report. The the UCLA Louisville game that I talked about early in, in earlier in 1975 in the semis was a an amazing amazing game and we haven't even talked about you know Georgetown uh, you know Georgetown North Carolina with uh, obviously Jordan hitting winning shot has to be you know rummaging around probably probably fourth or fifth ahead of that you know, Louisville UCLA game was the finals and you know. Worthy was off the charts, brilliant. George or uh, Michael hit the winning shot, and the way it ended is what hurts. Right. It it ends with it ends with the Fred Brown gaff, right? Where he gets confused and almost like he he mistook Worthy for one of his guys and got his steps messed up and throws the ball right to Worthy. So the end was so anticlimactic because it ended with one of the biggest your faux pas in the history of the sport after what was a tremendous, again, no shot clock. So lower scoring, but Ewing coming out and goaltending everything in sight. Uh, Sleepy Floyd was brilliant. James Worthy was even better. And so I would put that, you know, in the top five also. It's not often that as a Duke fan, you get to dislike and hate and root against the team. And I'm saying this somewhat in jest. I don't hate these guys. I don't hate. Oh, you do. Suggs. You do. I don't hate. No, no, no. Mark you do. I shake you do. You hands. hate Gonzaga. I don't. Hate I hear them. it all the time, folks. I get the texts. All right. <laughs> I get. I, I get screaming at the top of a mountain. Texts in all caps on Monday, Al. All caps. I. I. I, I get the ugly texts. Who truly? I hate to use the term hates, but let let me say intensely dislike. Intensely dislikes slash despises borderline intense hatred of Gonzaga. It's not what I felt for Georgetown because there can't be a feeling that strong. It's not what I felt for the Celtics. It's Um, not my hate for North Carolina, but it's the pedestal that this team has been put on. It's close. There was the Cinderella Gonzaga teams. The it's a great story that they're here. Then the, wow, they've actually got a shot this year. The Adam Morrison type years. Now they've just become a constant in the national championship talk. They're getting to the tournament every year. Mark Views a great coach. They're always there, but they never two finals deliver now. the good. Two finals. Two finals. Two what? Five, 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 17, 18, 19, 20, five years. Two this is a team now that's not the Cinderella story. They're no, they're in not. the conversation like, of we know we don't play anybody, but we'll show you what you're we're made of in the tournament. I get, which is great. You know, l- let me ask you this: What do they do if you're Gonzaga? Do you do, do you consider changing conferences? 
other than winning a title, which obviously is, is, is the next thing, they go and they play everybody. Try. Out of conference. Yeah, they do try. Do you leave the conference and ask if you can make it the Pac-13? But the Pac-12 would probably say, I mean, you guys don't even have a football team. Why would we bring you? Right. I mean, that's my point. What do you do? You're stuck. They're stuck. I don't know how you get past this. Like, this was it. This was the season to do it because they survived coronavirus impact on the team. They had the players. They had the early season wins against the non-conference. They had the perfect path to at least the Final Four. They won the game that puts them in the top five game of all time. They survived it and had one more to do it. And not only lost, but got beat. How, they got throttled. What, what do I have to do? I had the star. I had the people around him. I had the depth. Everybody loved us because it was, well, it's not the second guy that beats you this night. It's the fourth guy. It's the guy coming off the bench the next night. It's this, it's that. Everything was perfectly written for this to be the storybook season, and it didn't happen. We meant to talk NFL. We never got to the Sam Darnold trade. We meant to talk opening day. We didn't have time. Why? Because we had to seal this deal with a kiss for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. We put the tournament to bed. We take the Gonzaga hater and we wish him a great offseason. <laughs> and now it's, on, now it's on to Major League Baseball and the NFL draft. Johnny, I will talk to you next week. Have a great sports week, everybody. Al, there's onions. And as there was on Saturday, there's also major onions. This show was major onions. R.I.P. Gonzaga. We'll see you all again next March. Take care, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.